to the preaching and teaching ministry of Marion Oaks Assembly of God in Ocala, Florida. We invite you to open your Bible as we join Pastor Tim McIntyre for today's message for Bible study. Tonight we're beginning a brand new Bible study series. This is the very first lesson in the title of the series is Living the Lord's Prayer. Living the Lord's Prayer. You might say, what do you mean living the Lord's Prayer? We're supposed to pray the Lord's Prayer. And we're going to spend some good time talking about praying the Lord's Prayer, why we should pray it, how we should pray it, how it should impact our prayer life. But I'll be honest with you, it's been probably three, four, five years I've been wanting to teach a series on living the Lord's Prayer. And Almost every year at the beginning of the year, it's like, now's now the time, God? And it seems like God said, no, no. And I got a release this year. We'll talk more about what I mean by that and why I titled it Living the Lord's Prayer as we get further along in our lesson tonight. But we'll start off with a question. If you could talk to anyone you wanted, who would you go to for advice about golf? So you're like, I don't care. I don't want advice. No, let's say you're interested in golf and you could talk to anybody you wanted. Who would you go to for advice about golf? Tiger Woods. That's the answer I expected. So you're like, golf? I don't know anything about golf. I have no idea who I'd talk to. Okay, if you could talk to anybody you wanted, who would you go to for advice about finances? Your uncle? You probably can, can't you? Yeah, I mean, it, it depends on who you know, right? I mean, how do you choose... Who you're going to go to for advice about any topic? What'd you say? Expertise? Somebody who knows what they're talking about, right? Yeah. I mean, that's true for any area. If you want to go uh, get some advice about cooking or car repairs or home repairs, you got a plumbing problem, who are you going to go to? A plumber. Hopefully he knows what he's doing. <laughs> he's got expertise, experience, knowledge. All right. Uh, if you want to know something about chicken, oh, jerk chicken. All right, you got to talk to Lynn. All right, same thing for goat's head soup. I don't know why you'd want to ask about that, but anyway, that's my go-to line to throw out there. Something about goat's head soup. So anyway, so who would you go to for advice about prayer? The Bible. Okay, well, I'm talking about an individual. That's a great answer. But what? Who? What type of person or? or you know, who would you go to? A pastor? Pastor? Okay. What? You'd go to Miss Linda? Lisa. Okay. And she stepped out. She didn't get to hear that. All right. You'd go to somebody who knows how to pray, right? And how do you know they know how to pray? Because you've prayed with them. You've heard them pray. They at least sound like they know how to pray. Well, we are starting out tonight by talking about the Lord's Prayer, and one of the reasons we have the Lord's Prayer is because Jesus' disciples asked him to teach them how to pray. Now, the most complete version of the Lord's Prayer is found in Matthew, and that is the one that we're going to be studying. But you may or may not know there's another version of it in Luke, okay? And we're not going to, I'm not asking you to turn there, but in Luke chapter 11, Verses 1 and 2, it says, Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, 
hallowed be your name. And then he goes on into uh, um, one of the versions. And I say one of the versions because it's a little bit shorter than the one in Matthew. And that's raised some questions. You know, why is the one in Luke shorter? It doesn't have as much as the one in Matthew. Well, you know what? When Jesus went around teaching, he's dealing with different people. And so he taught things, probably some of the same things, many different times in different settings to different groups of people. All right. The, the version that we have in Matthew is from the Sermon on the Mount. And that's a very intense time of teaching by Jesus. All right. And so he may have changed up a little bit. You know, the stories he told, the parables he told, how he told them, all that kind of stuff. But the basics are the same between the two versions of the Lord's Prayer, the one in Luke 11 and the one in Matthew 6. Now, the disciples asked Jesus, Would you teach us to pray? Just like John taught his disciples to pray. Now, you have to understand this isn't because they were ignorant about prayer. They were good Jewish boys. They had been praying all their lives. If you grew up in Israel, if you were Jewish, you knew how to pray. Their heritage was that they were very disciplined and consistent in prayer. And they would start in childhood. They would pray at the beginning and the end of every day. Before and after, not just before the meal, but before and after the meal. There were three specific times during the day, besides meals, that devout Jewish people prayed. So the disciples had been raised to pray. But with that being the case, why do you think they asked Jesus to teach them to pray? Any thoughts? Chris? Because of Jesus' example. They saw him go off and pray by himself a lot. And that's a good answer, but why wouldn't they just assume that he's praying the same way that they are and really they don't have much to learn from him because he's a good Jewish boy too and he learned how to pray and he goes and prays. What would there be about Jesus that would make them say, well, Jesus, even though I've learned how to pray, would you teach me how to pray? Okay. Are you talking about Jesus or the person that's asking him? Okay, so the things that they saw in Jesus as a result of his prayers. Yeah, Chris. Okay, because of the power and authority Jesus has? I think you guys are ignoring, not ignoring, you guys are missing the main one. They saw Jesus pray and people were healed. They saw Jesus pray and people were raised from the dead. They saw Jesus pray and all of a sudden, five loaves and two fish feed 5,000 people or more, okay? I have a feeling that they saw the results of Jesus' prayer too. Now, all the things you guys said are true. But that one's kind of, I think it's kind of obvious, all right? They saw the results. They saw the power. And, and I believe that they saw the intimacy that he had with his heavenly father. And so his response is to teach them to pray the Lord's Prayer. And so as I said, we are in this series, Living the Lord's Prayer. And today, uh, the title of the lesson is The Setting of the Lord's Prayer. Today, we're going to look at the setting. We're going to look at the, the introductory introductory ideas and some background stuff about the Lord's Prayer And then next week, we're going to jump right in and deal with the Lord's Prayer, um, the version that we have in Matthew, okay? And I'll explain more at the end of the lesson how we're going to do that, because I'm going to invite you guys to get involved. I mean, more than you're involved as you already are, because we ask questions and answer and all that kind of stuff. But I'm going to clue you in a little bit what we're going to talk about next week, and I'm actually going to give you a piece of paper, if you want it, where you can be studying and meditating you say, study, I don't want to... No, I'm not talking about you have to get books on the Lord's Prayer and read them. If you want to do that, that's fine. But just read it and meditate and give you some categories to think about and write down your ideas all week long so when you come back, you got some more foundation than, than normal to respond to how we're going to study it. Okay, so I'll explain that a little bit more when we get to the end. All right? 
So as I said, today we are talking about the setting of the Lord's Prayer, and we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 to 13. Let me go ahead and read that to you. This is in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus... Actually, let me back up just a little bit in Matthew 6, verse 1. Jesus starts this section of the Sermon on the Mount by saying, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people to be seen, in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who's in heaven. He says, you want to do the right thing? That's great. Do it for the right reason. If you're doing the right thing in front of people so they think you're wonderful and you're spiritual and you're you're marvelous and all that kind of stuff, that's all the rewards you're going to get. And he talks about three major areas that Jewish people try to do the right thing. Um, The first one is giving to the needy. He deals with that in verses 2 through 4. Then he deals with prayer. We're going to read that. And then after that, he talks about fasting. So let's look at the prayer part starting in verse 5. He says, So, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door, Pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And some translations go on to say, For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. That may raise a question. Why do some translations have that last phrase and some don't? Because the manuscripts that the Bible has been translated from, good, solid manuscripts, some have that phrase and some don't. So some translations include it. Some don't. But the thing is, is that whether that was in the original, original, original or not, there's nothing in that that contradicts God's word. In fact, it greatly um, uh, accentuates everything that's in God's word about God's kingdom and glory and power. Okay? So, a couple of different categories I want to deal with tonight. And the first one is, what purpose does the Lord's Prayer serve? And before I share what I've got down here, what purpose does the Lord's Prayer serve? As you think about that, Jesus gave the Lord's Prayer. What purpose does it serve? Anybody? Huh? To communicate with him. So in other words, it's it's, it's a way of praying. It serves the purpose of teaching us how to pray, right? Tim, what were you saying? Okay, it helps us maintain our relationship with God. What were you going to say, Amanda? I thought you had your hand up. No, okay. Anybody else? Purposes, the purpose that the Lord's Prayer serves. Chris? Okay. It, it, it impacts our relationship between us and Jesus, too, not just God the Father. And you mentioned specifically because he said to pray our Father. And we're going to come back to the idea of our also. On your note sheet here, this is what I have. It provides a pattern for praying God's priorities. So, I mean, you go back to what we started with. Why did Jesus give this prayer? At least in Luke's account, at that time, he gave it because his disciples asked him, teach, teach us how to pray. And I think behind that is that it teaches how to pray effectively. Teach us how to pray like you do. Teach us how to pray so we can have the results that you do, so we can see the passion that you have, so we can see the relationship with God that you have. Okay? 
So it provides a pattern for praying God's priorities. Now, this is important. Okay, think about this. What kinds of things do we usually pray for or pray about? If we just pray right off the top of our head and pray the first thing that comes to mind, what kind of things do we usually pray for? Healing. What else? Peace. What else? Forgiveness. What else? What would you say, Amanda? Safety. What else? Salvation. What else do we pray for? What would you say, Amanda? Family. What would you say, Tim? Protection. What do most all those things have in common? Me. (laughs) It's what I want. It's what I need. Is God against us coming to him with what I want and what I need? No. He invites us to, right? But is that all we should come to him with? No. No, I mean, that's sort of like our kids and grandkids coming to us, and the only time they want to talk to us is when they want something from us. Even if it's something we want to give them, right? And so we see here in the Lord's Prayer a pattern. Uh, I really believe with all my heart that when Jesus gave this, his primary purpose was not so that the disciples could say, okay, now I can memorize this and just say these words and I'm good to go. Okay? Nothing wrong with doing that as long as you're thinking about what you're praying and you mean what you're praying. We'll talk more about that a little bit later. Okay? But I believe that Jesus gave this as a pattern, as an outline all right, But it's not only a pattern for praying, but how to pray God's priorities. In other words, we have a tendency when we come to God because we know he is a loving Heavenly Father and he wants to meet our needs and he wants to help us with our crises and all that kind of stuff to just bring those, you know, first thing. But as we're going to study over the next several weeks that we see that the Bible, star, the Lord's Prayer starts with God and his kingdom and his will and his purposes and his plans first, And then it gets to what we need, right? And there's a very, very important reason for that. And we'll talk about that more as we go along, all right? So it provides a good pattern for praying God's priorities. Second thing, it enables us to pray according to God's will. It enables us to pray according to God's will. Why is it important that we pray according to God's will? Joe. Because it will be done. We have great promises from God that if we pray according to his will in faith, he will do what we ask him, right? Several places is mentioned, but I have on here 1 John chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. It says, and this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we've asked of him. Okay? I mean... If your child, your grandchild, your friend asks you to do something that you're dying to do, you're going to do it. And the same thing is true for our Heavenly Father. Now, of course, the trick there is how do we know what God's will is? And we'll talk more about that another time. But um, we got a whole lesson we'll talk about when we pray for your will be done. All right? But um, if Jesus said this is what you should pray for, you can be pretty much guaranteed that it's God's will that those things be done. He's not going to contradict God because he is God. You know, he's not going to contradict his father. So the things that, God, that the, the Lord's Prayer talks about are things that we know for sure are God's will. And as we pray them, we can pray them with confidence that God wants to answer them in a positive way. All right. So um, I love the Lord's Prayer for that purpose. But I also love praying some of Paul's prayers. 
In fact, one of my favorite of Paul's prayers, I put it on your note sheet so you can check it out later under another example, is Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 to 14. That is a powerful prayer to pray for yourself, to pray for other people. It talks about how God let me your power be evident in my life. Help me to grow closer to you. Help me to walk in victory. And I thank you so much you've saved me. This is all a paraphrase. But that particular prayer, of all of Paul's prayers, because he's got prayers in almost every letter he wrote, Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 to 14 is my personal favorite. And if you've never really looked at it that way of something you can pray for yourself or pray for other people, I encourage you to um, take a look at that. So it enables us to pray according to God's will. The third thing is it illustrates important spiritual truths. Okay? If you look at it, the, the fact that, you know, these things that Jesus included in, quote, the Lord's Prayer, um, if they were important enough that Jesus said, this is what you need to really focus on when you pray, then the truths behind them are significantly important. All right? Especially truths about our relationship with God. In our relationship with other people. You know, Chris already pointed out that Jesus said we should pray our Father. He didn't say we should pray my Father or just Father. Now, in Luke, the version there, Jesus said just pray Father. But in Matthew, he says pray our Father and forgive us of our, forgive us of our sins. Provide our daily bread. There's a lot of ours in there. So there's some truths that are in God's word that impact not only our relationship with God, but each other. And then the fourth one is this, and this starts getting to why I called this uh, Bible study series Living the Lord's Prayer. And that is it will help us live a life that is pleasing to God. The Lord's Prayer, we study it, meditate on it, pray it. It will help us live a life that is pleasing to God. How will it do that? How can praying this specific prayer... Help us live a life pleasing to God. Any thoughts? Joe? Okay, because if we pray it and mean it, it means that we want what God's want, what, what God wants first. Okay, not just first in the prayer, but over and above what we want. And that certainly is going to help us live a life that is pleasing to God. Any other thoughts about why interacting with praying, meditating on the Lord's prayer is going to help us grow uh, or help us live a life pleasing to God. Yeah, because it affects every area of our Christian life. You know, to do that, we have to be in contact with him and communicating with him and not just coming like a child to their parents saying, gimme, 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 gimme. I mean, we can ask for that, but, but communicating and building that relationship, and as we've already mentioned, that involves our relationship with each other, which is another significant, important a significant and important part of a life that's pleasing to God. Chris, you had your hand up. Did you have something in addition to that to say? Yeah, just that one particular phrase, asking God to forgive us and then to help us to forgive others. All right? Um, obviously, uh, if there's sin in our lives, that's going to provide a barrier and stunt uh, between us and God and stunt our growth. So asking for forgiveness on a regular basis is going to clear the way. And then also, uh, being willing to forgive other people is going to build those relationships too. Did you have your hand up, Norris? Okay. Right. So as we pray this prayer, and a lot of it has to do with praying according to his will, we get more results, which will draw us closer to him and help us to grow more. All these things are definitely true. As I said, this is what leads us into what was in my mind when I titled this Living the Lord's Prayer, not just Praying the Lord's Prayer. Because 
I believe that God doesn't want us to just pray this. He wants us to live it out. What good is it to pray, God, your will be done, and then I totally ignore God's will and go do my own thing? Doesn't make any sense, right? It's like saying, God, may your will be done in my life, and I'm going to go out and sin. It's contradictory. In other words, we need to not only be willing to pray these things, but do whatever God leads us to do to live them out. And as we live them out, then we will live a life pleasing to God because this is God's will for us. Okay, When we live out what we pray, it'll change us into more fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. On your note sheet, I have this. Don't just pray the Lord's Prayer. Live it. Don't just pray the Lord's Prayer. Live it. Um, you know, an example, I, I mentioned it before. When we pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If we're praying that, then it only makes sense. That means that we should be seeking God's will. And once we know what God's will is, we're going to do it. Right? And so if we do that, that will help us to live a life that is pleasing um, to God. One of the resources I'm using for this study is a book entitled Living the Lord's Prayer. Now, I just want to tell you, I'm not just taking all this stuff I'm saying out of that book. I'm just taking a couple of ideas out of there, all right? But in his book, Living the Lord's Prayer, um, it's written by a guy by the name of David Timms. He says this, more than a prayer, the Lord's Prayer outlines the most fundamental features of the deeper Christian life. He even says, ultimately, the Lord's Prayer reveals more about how to live than how to pray. I've read some other people who gave their opinions. They said, you know what? If we do more than just pray this, if we do everything we can to live it out, this is something that can help us become the best followers of Jesus that we can. And so as we go through this study, jumping in starting next week with the actual text, we're going to be talking about not only what is the spiritual truths that are demonstrated in, this, in, the, in the Lord's Prayer, and not only how does this affect how we pray and what we pray for, but how should it affect our lives? Okay? So that's what I mean by living the Lord's Prayer. The next section of what I would like to talk about is how can we apply the Lord's Prayer most effectively? And we're going to take this from the passage we read in Matthew chapter 6. How can we apply the Lord's Prayer most effectively? The first one is this. Pray it. Okay? We talk about the Lord's Prayer, and that also implies pray it right. Okay? But, you know, when Jesus started this passage, he says, and when you pray. He didn't say if you pray. He says, when you pray, it's assumed you're going to pray. And you jump down to verse 9, he says, pray then like this. Okay, and notice he didn't say pray exactly these words. There's nothing wrong with praying exactly these words. But he says, like this. This is the kind of stuff you should be praying about. Okay, so Jesus is assuming they're going to pray. You know, one of the main problems we have with prayer is that we don't do it. Or we don't do it as we should. And this is not meant to be a guilt trip saying, well, if you don't spend an hour in prayer a day, you're a terrible heathen and God's not going to listen to you. That's not it. But how many times do we spend more time talking about our problems with other people than we do with God? You know, how many times do we, you know, stew and worry and going over everything in our mind and not taking it to God? We need to pray it. I mean, think of it. Can you imagine a football team that never practices? Or an orchestra that never practices. Um, a farmer who never plants any crops. A salesman who never calls on any clients. An artist who never buys any paint. Doesn't make any sense, right? 
But that's what it's like when we don't bother praying. But yet we want God and we expect God to be involved in our lives. Um, I like this saying. I didn't come up with it. I've got it on your, on your notes. This is a really deep truth. So get this in your spirit. You ready? To never do something is the worst way to get any better at it. You want to get better at something? If you sit around and never do it, it's not going to happen. To never do something is the worst way to get any better at it. And, you know, sometimes people don't pray because they feel like, I'm not a very good prayer. Prayer. Prayer-er. Whatever is the proper English. But you know what? Prayer is one of those things that the more that you do it, the better you get at it. Okay? But why don't we? You could ask most any Christian. Say, do you believe that prayer makes a difference? Yes. Do you believe that prayer motivates God to get involved in our lives? I mean, obviously, you got the whole thing. you got to pray the right things and, and all that kind of stuff. But do you believe that God's power can be released when we pray? Everybody say, yes. Then why don't we do it more than we do? What is it that holds people back from really seeking God in prayer? What are some of the reasons? There's a number of reasons. It's easy to get distracted, and there's a lot of things that can distract us. All right? What else? That's a great point. You know, it could indicate that there's, there's some kind of problem with our relationship with the Lord. It's not solid. It's not as intimate. And the thing is, is that if we just wait until it is to pray, it's not going to happen because it's through prayer that it will be. And sometimes I think we believe the devil's lies because like, well, oh, I've got so much in my life that's a mess and this, that, and the other. God doesn't want to listen to me. But it's through that prayer that we get those things cleaned up and cleared up. And we get help that we need. All right? Yeah, Norris. Sometimes people don't pray because they don't feel like they do it very well. And they're not eloquent enough. And what's interesting, one of the points we're going to look at in just a moment, is that the more eloquent a person is, the less likely God may want to listen to them if they're praying because they want to be considered very eloquent. (laughs) You know, you mentioned prayer is just talking to God like you would somebody else. You know? But to feel like we don't really know how to do it. That's one thing that's going to be helping us as we study through this is learning better how to pray. Yeah, Chris. That's right. You know, sometimes we don't pray as we feel like maybe we should because we get too busy doing other things. You know, and, and, and to be honest with you, that's not just a problem spiritually. How many times, even apart from spiritual things, we don't do really important things because we're too busy doing other things, right? And sometimes it's because the other things are easier, <laughs> All right. But also, there may be the sense that, well, I don't really pray much because I don't really know that it's going to make much of a difference. I don't think it's going to make much of a difference. Not that we deny that God moves, but he's always doing it for somebody else. I don't know that he's going to do it for me. And there's a number of reasons why we may feel that we don't get very good response to our prayers. Um, and that's a whole other study that we may need to dig into when we finish this one, you know. We've got to be praying according to God's will, you know. And, and a number of other conditions that he puts there, we've got to be praying in faith. All right, and sometimes God's timing is different than ours, and all that kind of stuff. But the thing is, is that God's not a God's not a respecter of persons in the fact, in, in the sense of that He's going to um, show more favor to somebody else than you when you come to Him as His father, as your Father, to ask Him, you know, to work in your behalf. Again, there are certain conditions as to why and when and how He does what He does, but He loves you just as much as anybody else. Okay, James 4, 2 says you do not have because you don't ask. There's some things we don't receive from God because we don't even bother asking. All right, so um, how can we apply the Lord's Prayer most effectively? Pray it. The second one is this. Don't pray to impress others. 
That goes back to what Norris was saying about being eloquent, you know. Don't pray to impress others. We look at our passage here, verse 5. He says, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. So what's Jesus trying to say? People that are not so much concerned about really praying to God, but they are praying for the benefit of somebody else and what that person might think of them. Yeah, the Pharisees. But you know, we can be just as guilty. Yeah, the Pharisees and the Sadducees were all about how they looked to other people. Okay? Um, a funny example of this, uh, you know, praying for the wrong reason. Uh, I, I've told this story before, so maybe you remember it, but I, I knew a pastor one time, uh, a senior pastor, and he's a larger church, so he had a staff, and the staff, we were in conversation one time, he said, well, the pastor... Um, just wanted to streamline the service, didn't want to take up a lot of time, so he never allowed announcements to be made in the service, which I know we've gone to where we don't have very many. We try to have them in a video beforehand, but this is before the days of video and stuff. I mean, this is 30 years ago. He would never let them make announcements during service, but if there was something that was really important to the pastor, he didn't want to break his own rule, so he'd pray about it. So in his prayer, he's saying, Dear Lord, please bless the men as they gather together on Thursday morning at 9.30. And <laughs> so he'd get all the details and announce it, but he didn't make an announcement. He was praying about it. That's the wrong reason. <laughs> you know. But you know what? Um, you know, that's something I have to wrestle with. And I think anybody who prays publicly, we all have to wrestle with. You know, as a pastor, you know, there's a very, very fine line. For example, at the end of our Bible study tonight, I'll pray. And during whenever I pray at the end of a sermon or at the end of a Bible study, I always pray about what we just studied or what I just preached. But I've got to make sure that my reason and my attitude is because I'm asking God to help him apply it to our lives, to my life, to yours. And it's not just a way of repeating my sermon outline to remind everybody. You, you show them what the difference is there? You know, and I, I'll be honest with you, I have to wrestle with that, okay? It's just not an opportunity to review or add to my message or Bible study. It must be really focused on God. Okay. All right. So their desire is not to really commune with God, but to be seen and heard, admired and appreciated. And Jesus said, if that's the, our attitudes, that's all the reward we're going to get. Okay. But does this mean that we should never pray in public? No. We see examples of Jesus praying in public. The early church prayed in public. It just means that if you're going to play, pray in public, you need to do it for the right reason. You're not doing it to make everybody think you're so spiritual and all that, all that kind of stuff. Okay? All right. Number three, don't pray to try to, don't pray it to impress God. All right? Don't pray the Lord's Prayer to impress God. We can't impress God anyway, but jump, jump down in verse 7. It says, And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. So he's talking about the Gentiles, the heathens. You know, in the first century, the Greeks and the Romans, when they would pray, it was very formal. They kind of believed in kind of a magical sort of prayer. If they said just the right words in just the right order, it would cause the gods or force the gods to do certain things. And if you would 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 um, uh, not only say things exactly right, but if you repeat it over and over and over again, or pile up one word on top of another. In other words, it was all about how you delivered it, okay? And really kind of overwhelming the gods to get them to pay attention and to do something. And God says, that's not what it's all about. 
It's not about saying the right words because of some kind of magic formula. You're going to somehow uh, force me or coerce me or, or bind me to do what you want me to do and, and all that kind of stuff. He says, don't, don't pray like that. You know, you don't have to pray a whole lot of fancy words. You don't have to just keep, keep, keep saying the same thing over and over and over again. All right. Um, I like this quote. It says, God's reward is reserved for those who seek his heart, not his attention. It's on your note sheet there. God's reward is reserved for those who seek his heart, not his attention. I mean, do we ever do this? Sure we do. Anytime we pray without even paying attention, you know, and and this gets done for the Lord's Prayer all the time. I mean, most of us can probably just pray the Lord's Prayer like that without even thinking about it, right? And if we do, we're doing exactly what this is saying. We're not thinking about it. We're not really trying to put ourselves into it. All right? Um, And this is, again, something I have to wrestle with as a pastor. I can get up and I can pray and sound real good and spiritual and do it without even really thinking about it. And that's what we need to avoid. We need to, to think about what we're praying. We need to mean what we're praying. All right? Not just saying fancy stuff. Not just piling one phrase on top of another um, as we just talked about the other point, to make people think we're spiritual, but also to try to impress God that somehow if we just say everything just right, God's got to really pay attention and do what we want him to do. Number four, don't pray it, the Lord's Prayer, to just get what you want. Um, verse eight, do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Um, there are certain religious traditions where if you've sinned, then you have to pray a certain number of prayers a certain number of times in a certain way to get forgiveness or to be assured you have forgiveness. And even if it's not part of that religious tradition or whatever, we may even do the same thing. You know, just use the Lord's Prayer as some kind of, this is an extra spiritual prayer because Jesus gave it. And if I pray it, then God has to listen and he's going to do what I want him to do. And Jesus even says, listen, prayer is not even so much about, you know, Getting what you need because God already knows what you need. But if that's the case, why should we pray then if God already knows what we need? Any thoughts? Why, Amanda? Because God asked us to, all right? And not only that, but, you know, as a parent or a grandparent, sometimes we know what our kids or grandkids need, but there's something about being asked, right? Why else should we pray even though God already knows what we need? That's really good. I wish I could repeat all that for the recording. I can't. But, you know, it's, it basically comes down to this, that prayer is just is not just about asking God for what we need. Okay? You know, um, Lynn did a great job describing that. This prayer in particular, you know, it is to give God the glory and honor and praise that he deserves. It has nothing to do with what we need and the fact that God knows what we need. And by praying this and really meaning it, it changes us on the inside. And it changes the way we relate to other people. All right? Chris, you had your hand up. That's true. That's true. You know, what word do we use to describe people who just assume that people are going to give them what they want and need without having to ask? And, um, uh, you know, it's just they, just they just deserve it. And if people know or whoever knows that they need it, they should just give it to them. What do we call people like that? Arrogant? Well, that one works for it fits. That's not the word I'm looking for, but that one fits too. The word I'm looking to is entitled, right? You know, we can be that way with God too. 
Yeah, on your note sheet it says this, the primary goal of prayer is not to alert God about our needs. That's the whole point. God welcomes us. He wants us to bring our needs to him, but that's not the primary purpose because he already knows what we need. Now, this doesn't mean we should ignore bringing them to him. He wants us to bring our needs to him. It helps us to realize we are dependent on him. Okay? The fifth one gives us the real purpose for prayer and for praying this prayer. Pray it, talking about the Lord's Prayer, to build your relationship with your Father. Pray it to build your relationship with your Father. Going back to verse 6, I skipped that a minute ago. It says, But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. This gets down to the primary goal of prayer. It's on your note sheet. The primary goal of prayer is to spend time with our Father. So I said before, so often we treat God like a child that only wants to come to their parents when they want or need something. You know, that's not a good thing. That's not a healthy relationship. The primary purpose of prayer is to grow in our relationship with God. And so when we do that, if we do what Jesus says literally, which we really should do, get, go someplace where we can be alone. Again, there's nothing wrong with public prayer, praying in groups, that kind of stuff. But there should be that time when we're alone. We're not, we're not as tempted to try to pray and impress other people because there's nobody else around. We may still be tempted to try to impress God by, you know, using fancy words and, and heaping up praises without really meaning it and that kind of stuff. But still, you know, um, the whole point is to build our relationship, to have communion with him, to communicate with him, to have conversation back and forth. That's why reading God's word in, along with prayer is so important, so he can speak to us too. All right. And it says here, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. We often read that and think that what the reward is, he's going to give us what we ask. I'll be honest with you. I don't think that's the primary of what, meaning of what Jesus is saying there, that he's going to reward us. Sometimes it includes that. You know, we're praying according to his will. God wants to do it. He's going to do it. That's a reward. But I think the real reward that we get by praying right is our closeness to him and the intimacy and the communication and the communion that we have with God. That we can communicate in fellowship with God himself. And he loves us and he listens to us and he relates to us. So anyway, that's how we can best apply the Lord's prayer, prayer most effectively. Pray it. Don't pray to impress others. Don't pray it to impress God. Don't just pray to get what you want, but pray it to build your relationship with your Father. So I want to spend just a minute talking about how we're going to pursue our study of the Lord's Prayer, okay? What we're going to do is we're going to choose one portion of the Lord's Prayer each lesson and consider four of these four following questions, Okay? First of all, we're going, to pray, we're going to consider what truths are found in this portion of the Lord's Prayer. We're going to start next week, and I'll tell you exactly what we're going to do so you can be thinking about it all week long, okay? Next week, we're going to take a certain portion of the Lord's Prayer. And first of all, I want you to be thinking all week long about that one particular portion. What truths are found in this portion of the Lord's Prayer? In other words, why did Jesus include this portion in the prayer? What spiritual truths does it illustrate or whatever, Okay. The second one, um, how are these truths evident in Jesus' teachings and actions? All right. I think that would be interesting as a kind of a side thing is, you know, Jesus said to pray this. Well, how do we see that in, in Jesus' own life and in his teachings and maybe even how he prayed? All right. The third thing, how should these truths impact the way I pray and what I pray for? All right. And then the fourth one is, how should these truths impact the way I live 
as I seek to follow Jesus. That's where it gets to the, the application of what we're talking about, living the Lord's Prayer. This particular um, portion of, uh, of the Lord's Prayer and what we've learned from it, how should that not only affect how I pray, but how should that affect the way I live? All right? So I'm going to have these um, sheets, and after I pray, I'm going to put them on the back table. If you want to do that this week and actually take some notes, you're going to meditate on it, and you're going to think about it, and as you go through the week, you're going to write down, i got these four questions on here, okay? So you can do it all week long. If you decide not to, that's fine. I'll still have a note sheet for you next week with the answers I bring, but if you do this, you're going to come with some good answers to these questions. All right, are you ready to know what the portion we're going to look at for next week? All right, and there's a place on here you can write at the very top, okay? The portion we're going to look at next week is our. That's it. So wait a minute, we're going to have a whole lesson on the fact that Jesus told us to pray our? Yeah, if you really think about it and meditate on it, there's a lot of spiritual truth there that Jesus also demonstrated and did a lot of teaching on, and it, can, and it has a big impact on how we pray, how we should pray, what we should pray for. It has an impact on how we live. Why did Jesus say we should pray our Father? Forgive us our sins as we, for, as we forgive. Give us this day our daily bread. Why is it all about our instead of me and mine? Okay? So this next week, I want you to be meditating on that. Come back with some of your ideas, whether you write them down or not. Okay? So as you meditate on the fact that he said our and us, what spiritual truths does that illustrate? All right? How did Jesus demonstrate that in his own teaching in life? How should that impact the way I pray and what I pray for? And how should that impact the way I live? Okay? All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for the time that we've had tonight to kind of look at the background of the Lord's Prayer, the setting of it, and some, some issues that kind of sets up for what we're going to be studying. I pray, dear Lord God, that you would make this study, Lord, not just from tonight, Lord God. From tonight, I pray you'd help us to pray right with the right motives, with the right attitudes, Lord God, to realize that it's not as complicated as we sometimes make it. We just need to spend time with you, and you want to spend time with us. But as we go forward, Lord God, as we meditate on the Lord's Prayer from week to week to week, I pray, dear God, that it's something that we take seriously and that you would reveal things to us or or, or show us things that maybe we've never seen before. And that, Lord God, it would not only be like, oh, I know some stuff I didn't know before, but, Lord, that it would actually impact the way we pray and it would impact the way we live. So we can grow closer to you. Father, we thank you and praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed listening to today's message or Bible study. For more information, please contact us at area code 352-347-3001 or visit us online. If you are interested in supporting this ministry, go to our website and click on the online giving tab. Our website address is www.marionoaksag.org.